the more uh, fully featured and in parity with the design tools that a, a coded component library is, the easier that whole process goes that, that you just described. Oftentimes, and, and this happens a lot, and this is where design systems is, is just such an unfortunate name for this whole <laughs> kit, because it's just, it, it, it really should be like interface systems and that like sort of plays out in, in a number of ways or whatever. Hello and welcome to PodRocket. Uh, I'm Noel and joining me today is Brad Frost. Brad is a design system consultant, web designer, speaker, writer, and I have a musician here in my notes as well. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. How's it going? Hey, good. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. Of course, of course. Um, I guess, yeah, let's let's address the musician thing first. What do you play? What's your instrument? Oh, oh, yeah. I, I'm really a musician first, web designer second i think that's how i how i see it at least but uh been a bass player for about 20 odd years and uh but over over time was sort of spread into the drums but have like a whole setup so you know if there's an instrument i'll play it but i'll say that ba- bass and, as well as drums are my instruments of choice right on. Right on. do you play live anywhere or just record or what's your no what's well, your yeah once upon, once upon a time you know college bands and stuff like that i actually just played my first first gig in in 15 years for my uh my sister's uh, 40th birthday party nice. <laughs> so we performed for that so yeah it's really fun nice nice that's awesome well i could i could talk about music like all day but let's let's talk about web stuff though let's just do yeah, that right, right, yeah right no, it is it can be it's 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 a different kind of fun right like it's all it's all in there somewhere um, you know what it's very related yeah yeah totally totally um but no let's let's talk about you know design stuff like tell us a little bit about yourself um what's your background how'd you get into design and design systems from music (laughs) carry that trend yeah i i went to i went to to university as a music major and um my love of music uh led me to realize that going into that as a profession uh, would totally ruin my love for music. So, so I shifted into uh, a, a program at my college called Media Arts and Design, and we had a, a Dreamweaver class and a Flash class, and uh, and that sort of set the stage for you know. But then all the while, you know, playing in a band in college, and we needed you know had our had our website that you know somebody had to update the website, and that's something was me so <laughs> i've talked to a bunch of people in this field and that that's been their sort of gateway into web design and development is oh yeah i had to update my band's website <laughs> no i get it what, what do you think kind of kept drawing you to it how did it evolve into like more of a profession yeah it's a it's a really good question and and i i actually find a lot of of similarities and commonalities with music in that music is is a discipline, right? And and that was like I I did that, you know, music theory, parallel fifths. There's there's rules around it, and there's people. There's there's this discipline. You think of like an orchestral setting. It's like these people know how to like read music very very well. There's a lot of like logic to it, and then at the same time, it's this art form, right? It is this like free flowing this this experiential thing. This kind of something that can't be quantified, really. Um, 
and and it's both of those things, right? And in the in the in the field of web design and development, there's ones and zeros. There's if else statements. There's you know there's hard rules, but at the same time, it is this total art form in that you know you're creating things that have a vibe, have a feel, have an experience that you can't capture perfectly in the same way that you can't capture or describe what music is. You just kind of have to experience it. So, so I love that. I love that kind of like duality of, of, you know, art and science and my dad's an accountant, my mom's an art teacher. So it's like, I've kind of always lived in this kind of realm in between sort of arts and sciences and, and web design just happens to be a really great vehicle for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that there, there is, yeah, there's kind of analogies on both sides and that like they are both um, like pseudo artistic endeavors kind of emergent from like really strong technical rule sets and foundations. Um, and also in that, like um, they're, are like strictly right and wrong ways to do things a lot of the time. And there's like rules that are hard and fast, but it's like, except for in these certain cases, like you can kind of bend them and break them in certain cases. And um, yeah, I think, I think that there's like, it's a common story because there is so much commonality there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's lovely. I I love, it's always fun to sort of dig into that stuff uh, for, for those reasons. There's, there's a lot of parallels, but yeah, but like, from, from my like actual background, I was like graduated college, got a job making real estate websites right whenever the 2008 bubble burst, moved to New York City, worked at um, digital agencies uh, for, for about five years, and then um, uh, sort of moved back to, to Pittsburgh and uh, started my own thing doing a sort of... Uh, freelance web development, but has turned into a consultancy where we focus on creating and building design systems. And along the way, I created a, a thing called Atomic Design, which which is a methodology for creating uh, sound user interfaces. And uh, so, yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride. Gotcha. So, yeah, tell me more about Atomic Design. What is it? Is it like a a, a book that's been published and is a point in time thing? Is it evolving over time? Like, what is it? It's it, at this stage in the game, atomic design is a, as a concept is pretty well sort of matured and, and thankfully hasn't changed uh, all that much. It's, it's very much a part of the present day uh, design system conversation versus like this, this kind of like stepping stone. Um, people ask me, if atomic design is like relevant, a lot of people see it as like a buzzword, but if I can like, so I'll give like the broad strokes of like what it is. It's like, it is a mental model for sort of breaking down any user interface, what we're talking through right now, Figma, Sketch, uh, you know, Microsoft Word, what like literally any website, any app, you can basically take the entirety of that interface and explode it into its atomic bits, right? It's elemental building blocks effectively. And how you go about sort of assembling these small little bits, these atoms into increasing 
relatively complex components, what I call molecules or relatively like simple components, and then through organisms, which are more complex components. And ultimately you sort of arrive at the sort of finished interface. And by sort of doing things in that way, you are able to sort of like, you know, sort of separate out and create more sort of considered hierarchical reusable interfaces that all sort of flow together. And, and it's, it is back to a music analogy. It's like, you know, you could look at a note or play a note and hear it in isolation. And it's kind of, it would be interesting, but kind of minimally interesting. It's only sort of through the context of the entire composition that you understand what that note is doing and its place in the world, right? So, so the same thing kind of holds true with, with our interfaces. Design systems have blown up as a concept. Everybody's like doing them, but still to this day, every uh, most of the organizations that I help work with and 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 consult with, a lot of times there's still this like attitude or sort of from an execution standpoint is, oh, we're going to like build a button component. Oh, we're going to build tabs. This is very like kind of like crude um, sort of way of thinking about our interfaces. And I feel like a lot of developers especially kind of um, fall prey to that. Oh, this, this stuff is easy. It's just uh, you just are making a component library and any junior developer or designer can do that. When we're talking about how these components play into an organization's like product ecosystem, the actual things, the fully composed pieces that we're all putting together here, that's where things get interesting. And so what atomic design is, is like a way to connect a design system to the products that 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 design system serves and that there becomes this kind of virtuous cycle where the ingredients that are contained within a design system inform and influence the type of products that you can build out of them. And in turn, those products inform and influence what goes in the system and what's there. So it's, it's, I, I find it all these years later to be an important way for people to create effective design systems. Um, it's, so yeah, so I see it as that. Unfortunately, like sometimes it gets like sort of like yeah, it's like kind of like a buzzword. It's like is Brad being clever and making like funny names, but it's like no, this is actually like really how you how you make really well considered, thoughtful designs. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that there is a lot. There's a lot to kind of figure out on the the relationship between elements in a UI. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for even more great episodes. Say you're, I don't know, addressing an audience and mo- like they're all of that that kind of developer you stood up before where it's like, eh, what is a design system other than styles on some like component libraries? Like it's not that hard. Like, like what do you, I guess, how do you kind of bring people into the fold and get them to empathize with this kind of mentality that like, the design, like the, the way that your components interact with each other inform what your UI is capable of doing. Yeah, it's, it, it is really, I think, like helping them understand that this is a lot more than just like a bunch of puzzle pieces that you're just kind of then kind of cobbling together, that there, that there is a lot of, um, uh, you know, art in the cracks in between these, these, these components. But ultimately, like the eye on the prize is really about like, creating great 
experiences for people and to really sort of see it as a a toolkit and a you know sort of you're sort of setting the the, the stage for great work to happen and there's there's kind of an intentionality to it um, which kind of runs counter a lot of times through a lot of like developers, especially like thinking about like startup culture and stuff like that. We're just, ah, just going to like do it. We're just going to like build it. And like, there's, there's something kind of beautiful in that, in that process as well. But like really like, especially whenever you sort of get multiple people working together and you have that, that attitude, it kind of runs haywire. And so what a design system can and does provide is like a, a, a sort of a common language, a, a kind of an agreement of we're going to do things in a certain way and we're going to sort of have our talented brains kind of also contributing to this sort of, you know, thing that's bigger than any one of our individual features or, or things like that. So it's, I see it as, as a real um, encapsulation of a lot of smart people's brains that you could then plug in elsewhere, which is, which is really cool when it works, when you get one working well, you're like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> there's, there's like, you know, just, you know how hard it is like to like make something and make it well. And it's like, wouldn't it be great to be able to sort of bake a bunch of best practices, you know, brand best practices, UX best practices, front end best practices, accessibility best practices, performance best practices, like whatever best practices you're talking about, right? To be able to sort of like bake those in to and hold it up to the rest of whoever you're working with or your organization or the world and say, use this and you'll get these things for free. It's like a really, it is a really powerful tool and concept around just sort of like distilling and, you know, sort of encoding best practices into a vehicle that can then be used a bunch of times. It's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that is an exciting um, notion, like if nothing else is like the potential of having that there. Where do you think, where do you feel that, um, that concern or maybe that that uh, purview of the design system like lives within the typical um, like web devy organization like a SaaS company like is it designers is it the front end devs like how, how does that how does a design system kind of come to being in a, in a large kind of organization with multiple stakeholders yeah yeah and that that's a lot of that's a lot of where I operate <laughs> like a lot of the work that I do it's like you know sort of as an organization grows um you know you have yeah you have designers you have developers you yeah, have marketing uh, people like all so many people know, care product yeah, teams yeah. and all of this and when it's like keep, keep keep yeah multiplying that for for infinity and that's what you got and um so the kind of three leg so from an assets perspective what a design system should be composed of is a design library that lives in a tool like Figma or Sketch or XD or whatever. Um, and then there's a code corollary to that in whatever sort of uh, framework of choice, whether that's React or Angular, Web Components, View, we build them all. Uh, and then there, and those should, things should be in parity with one another, right? So that you're, you're sort of, um, you know, sort of speaking a common language between designers and developers and and sort of helping build things true to form. Uh, and then the sort of third leg of the stool is a reference website 
for the design system. So this is like your material.io or polaris.shopify.com or carbondesignsystem.com. And that's really the sort of like what I kind of call the storefront where you're sort of putting all the ingredients out on the shelves and, and sort of contextualizing, uh, you know, what these things are, being able to provide that sort of like high-level philosophy, high-level guidelines, code standards, things like that. And then all of the sort of like reference for individual components. And you're able to say, use this in these use cases, don't use it in these other use cases and things like that. So, so there's kind of like a three-legged stool around sort of like what goes into a design system. So designers are using them, obviously, to sort of like construct, you know, use, you know, pictures of, of interfaces and sort of like work through products that way. Developers are using them as like a directly consumable, hopefully directly consumable kind of component that they're able to sort of pull into their application and add a bunch of business logic to it and click handlers and all that stuff to, to the interface buttons and so on. And then all the while the teams are sort of referring back to the the reference site to, to get a better understanding on sort of how to use these tools. So, so that's kind of like how that, how it like plays out in an organization. But the big question of like, where does it live and who owns it is a really good question and gets into it in our work as consultants. We really sort of, it, it doesn't matter. So we, we've seen them live in an or engineering organization. We've seen them live in a design organization. We've seen them like live in like all of these different places, but the fact remains is that it is this interdisciplinary sort of meeting place, this watering hole, this gathering place where all these different sort of disciplines and, and sort of perspectives come together around this sort of common thing. So that's why it gets like, it gets challenging to be like, where do we situate this thing? Because like, if you put it in the design organization, then all of a sudden the engineers go, oh, this is just like a designer thing. Or vice versa, it's like, oh, this is just like, you know, a tech like kind of owned component library and like it's far away from. So the, the spirit is, is like put it in a place organizationally where they're, it's accessible to people and people can have the sense of shared ownership of it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I feel, I feel like. Like, even even if we can get to a place where like an organization is everyone's kind of um, in like spiritually together, like aligned, everyone wants to buy it and make it work. I'm curious, do you guys or have you seen through your work? Is it often difficult when um, like say the design, the designers, the, the teams that are like doing their work in a tool like Figma, they kind of have it all like this is the button. It, this is how it kind of fits into these higher order components. We have all of those scoped out. Is it is it is it tricky then to kind of hand that off to developers to get them to go like implement that in a component library in a reusable way where not, uh, where an immense amount of work will not have to be done in the future to get those pieces kind of reconfigured and put together? Or is that handoff, is, are the tools like Vue, React, and Angular, have those made it so it's a lot easier to kind of take those like designs that are in Figma and, and broken out and, and kind of build them into more modular pieces? Yeah, I think, I think quite... Yes. <laughs> the more uh, fully featured and in parity with the design tools that a, a coded component library is, the easier that whole process goes that, that you just described. 
oftentimes, and, and this happens a lot, and this is where design systems is, is just such an unfortunate name for this whole <laughs> kit, because it's just, it, it, it really should be like interface systems. And that like sort of plays out in, in a number of ways or whatever, but that's, that's a conversation for the other day, for another day, but like in a tool like Figma, you could have, you know, a reusable component library that you're sort of stitching things together and, and making pictures of user interfaces a lot more efficiently, which is great. But like, as you're alluding to, it's like, it, if there's not a code corollary to that, uh, the same amount of effort, you know, d d a developer will look at a comp and pick it up and build it. And it could look exactly like the comp, but it's not following you know, any standards, it's a, it's a total one-off. And so, so the sort of like answer, like the solution for that is, is to, again, sort of see things through the lens of there is a code piece of this that is in parity with the, the with whatever's in design. And in order to create, you know, a, a comp, you know, a composite component or like a what I, again, I, what I call an organism that's contained, that contains like a handful of sub uh, components. You, you have a, you know, sort of a front end, you know, sort of ownership of that at the design system level that can sort of like make that stuff possible. Think about it in a right, in the right way, architecturally, how do you make this stuff, you know, flexible and responsive and, and yeah. Um, extensible and th kind of things like that. It's like doing that sort of hard architectural stuff to go, okay, we're going to create this thing. We're going to create it in a way that's built for reuse, that's built for flexibility. And then we're going to sort of like publish this thing. And then sort of like the, the downstream teams can kind of like take it and just kind of use, use that stuff. So, so that's, it's a very, I think, interesting thing. And what, one of the the things I've been most excited about as a front-end developer by trade kind of turned design system person. Like what I see design systems is, is doing is really help put a finer point on something that I think is, is really interesting in our industry, which is when we talk about engineers or programmers or developers, they, they are, not really thought of with like a great deal of nuance. Uh, and it's like, oh, Brad, you do code. And this ha this happened to me at a, at a previous job. It was, a, oh, Brad, you do code. Like go over and sit with our like Ruby developers and whip us up some gems. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's, not, that's, not, that's not how this works. Like I, I've never had a computer science class in my life. Um, all of that stuff. So what I see design systems as being very important doing is, is sort of separating out what I kind of call front of the front end web development as sort of it's a, as a discrete and unique and important skill set that's very difficult to get right. Uh, and and what and that what that does in the form of like a design system that's kind of like operated as a product. It has its own repo. It's its own kind of world. What it does is it sets up this this relationship between people that I call kind of like back of the front end developers, right? The people who are actually sort of like building application code and you know CRUD stuff and cache invalidation and all that jazz. Uh, it's it sort of sets up this really like really healthy I think relationship and um, and, and a workflow and a process and and just kind of a good like one two punch 
whereas before it's like everything was just kind of like in the soup of you're just like a designer would pass off a comp to a developer to build and oftentimes they're sort of building the interface for that thing as well as the functionality and writing the tests and like doing all that stuff and you're actually kind of like there's like a couple different kinds of code work in order to make this thing real and it's important to actually sort of stratify the types of that code work uh, so that you have good people doing you know specializing in certain areas and I, I kind of love it. I, I've, I've found it to be like a very welcome and very important and necessary distinction uh, across the board. It's just like doing UI code work is hard work. And even a lot of people who say they're full stack are often just like, well, we do this interface work because it's like, quote, easy and we have to. And it's like, I, I don't doubt for a second that a lot of people can, but it is also important to like realize just in the same way that like doing any sort of like backend work or, or it's like, that's its own thing. I have a great deal of respect for it. And I don't know, know how to do that stuff very well. I can't, you know, I could get in there and do some damage, but that that's, that's what tends to happen on like the front end. So it's like increasingly, I'm just like finding like this, this, yeah, this, this really important, pulling apart of of how websites and apps and things like that get coded into into these sort of like discrete buckets uh in skill sets yeah that makes a lot of sense i guess one i don't know if, i don't know if it's really like a pushback but more of a question is like say we have you know you're trying to advise maybe even just like more broadly not enough not as like you know a consultant but just like say there's people they're working at like some small little company or a small tech portion of a larger company. They've got like one or two devs that kind of have to do everything, but they've got to do some front end work as well. How would you, how would you recommend that they avoid like pitfalls in terms of kind of front end design and maybe lean into some of these, um, like lean into some of the benefits that design systems might provide them. But if they don't have the resources to like, you know, have like a front of the front end designer to use your word, then like a, that kind of middle layer person and then like a back end person and a designer to do it well, like what advice would you give? Yeah, it's, you know, I get asked a lot around like, what are your thoughts about like just using bootstrap or material design and stuff like that? And it's like that situation, that picture you just painted is like exactly the sort of target for that kind of stuff where it's just like, okay, like you don't have the, the, the time energy resources to like sort of roll a bunch of your custom stuff and to do it well, while also trying to sort of like get a, get a thing off the ground and, and you got to do it by the way, really, really super quick because the, the money's drying up or you know whatever that is. It's like, that's, that's a hundred percent like, in my view, the, the use case of like when to sort of reach for a prefab, you know, a chakra, a, a material, a, a bootstrap or whatever. It's like, that's, that's great. It's the, the challenge becomes once you're established and once you, you have, say, a part of the company that has brand standards, you know, and it's like once, once you reach a certain size, but I've also sort of like played things out and validated like your, your quick starty, uh, quick, uh, startup 
scrappy idea. Once that pans out and, and you actually are like taking control over your and evolving your product, I'm actually working with a startup right now. I say startup, they're, they're now six years ago, product didn't exist. Fast forward six years and they have 500 employees. And they're at this like inflection point of it's like, we got this big ball of wax, this big like code base that is just kind of built by, you know, hustle, hustle, startup culture, like building things, add new features, listen to the customers, build that stuff for them. Just do that quick, scrappy stuff. You can't do that with 500 people, you know? So it's like, there becomes like a time where, where sort of those, the solutions and the tools you reach for to accomplish something in the first year of, of coding or whatever is, is going to be different than whenever that stuff matures. And whenever you find yourself in that position where you're like, okay, yeah, we have, you know, in-house designers, we have people who give a crap about what this interface is beyond just like, does it do the thing? Does it submit the form? Like once you like get to that level, that's where those sort of like prefab solutions as good as they are, you start sort of bumping up against the limitations, right? They're not built for a specific industry or they, they bring with it a certain look and feel or experience that might sort of be different than what your customers need and stuff like that. Now all of a sudden you're like kind of finding yourself painted into a corner. And we, we see that a lot in our work is like, and, and it's, again, it's not nothing against the bootstraps and the materials of the world and stuff like they are like really, really valuable tools, but at the same time, they're built for specific purposes. And like any technology or tool or implementation, sometimes you find yourself going, I, I think I'm kind of like outgrowing this or like I need something a bit different, which is natural, but also important to, to listen to. Yeah, totally. I guess. So in, in these cases, like say, you know, small company and they're hoping to grow bigger, they're on, on that path. Is it, is it, do you think it's easier once, once you hit the point where you kind of are outgrowing your like whatever off the shelf component library of choice or whatever you've been using? Like, is it, is it a better place to be in to at least like have a component library that you've been using? You can start like kind of ripping pieces out and making it fit your thing than if you try to have built something kind of on your own and you end up with something a little more hodgepodge as you go, or is there an advantage to kind of building it, trying to do it yourself um, as you build so it can be more bespoke kind of as you evolve? Yeah, I, I, I think that's 100% a viable choice as well. And it's like, I think it, like anything, it's like you weigh the pros and cons of it's like, we, we're going into this eyes wide open, we're going to incur these costs, but we feel it gives us the ability to, you know, solve the problems in front of us in, in the best way. And, and so yeah, I think it really has a lot to do with just the culture, the individual people that are around, but like in general, like as time goes on and at, you know, I've been consulting with companies uh, for a decade on design systems and it overwhelmingly is clear that like at some point, whenever you have enough smart people that you employ, you ought to have a perspective on how you go about designing and building products. And it's helpful to be able to sort of own that perspective um, rather than kind of like infuse yourself with this, this kind of, uh, you know, oh yeah, but we're just kind of following Google's lead. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, 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 you, you really should say, here's how we build software here. And like that, that's actually like how I define 
a, a design system as as the official story of how an organization designs and builds digital interfaces. It's like it's like what is that story? And of course, there's ingredients to that story, like tangible and uh, ingredients like button components and tabs and whatever. But there's also that sort of philosophy and like high end guidelines and what are these sort of principles and values that we are trying to instill and, and scale uh, across our products. Gotcha. Nice. Um, I guess, are there any, have you seen firsthand any cases where companies have kind of tried to go that route and are like, they, you know, spend some energy, spend some time trying to like build up a design system around their product and it goes awry, like just doesn't, doesn't land. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> that's like, that's like one of the first, one of the first things that happens whenever we start working with a, a, a new company is they take us on a tour through their graveyard <laughs> of fast, like design system efforts and stuff. They're like, Oh yeah, here's, here's 2013, whatever Stacy was still here. And then she left. Yeah. Then, I, then we dusted it off in 2017 and we did it whenever we were moving to angular. And then here it is in 2019, whenever we moved away from angular towards react and it's, it's, and then you end up with just this. Yeah. This, this, there's all often uh, a lot of <laughs> of past efforts, and it really just I think goes to show, you know, it's not again a very sort of like myopic or one dimensional view of what a design system is. It's just like oh, it's just reusable components. What's so hard about that? And you're like, no, no, no. This is the orchestration of like design and technology and people and process and culture and all of that stuff. And it's like, you know, you need to align a lot of very human, you know, sort of brains <laughs> in order for something like this to be successful. And that's why I love the work that I do because it's like, I'm around code. I'm like touching that stuff. I'm like, you know, still, still paying attention to like the technical implementation of it, but it's like, 95% of why a design system fails is human. It, it is not, oh, whoops, you should have gone with React instead of Vue. Or, it's, it, it's, it's never that. <laughs> if, it, if it is even around that, it's, all, it, it's still a human problem because it's like, oh, the, you all were misaligned or, or like weren't talking to each other or whatever. So it's like, it all boils down to, it's like about the, the, the people and the processes and the, and the organization of, of people, processes and tools and technologies. Yeah. I, I think, I think as developers, people often like it, the inclination, it's like, Oh, we could just use a tool or use this process and it'll like fix the problem and everything will work. So I think, I think it like, I have in my notes here, what, like what tools can be used to ensure things succeed. But I don't think that's a great question. I think the better question might be like, what advice would you give maybe designers or engineers who are like in organizations who are feeling this need, this pain, um, but they don't know how to kind of go and like get buy-in throughout the org and kind of instill that, you know, focus on the design system. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It, it's a, that's a really great question. And, and like one of the, the best things that I love about this is that it, it really isn't this big extra effort. So much of this stuff is just a mental shift. Um, when you talk about, you know, whenever you like build a feature, right. Or, or something like that, like a developer is sitting at their desk, they're building a feature in order to get it out the door a lot of times that's the tunnel vision, right? It's just like, I'm building this thing for this reason. 
And by sort of taking off the horse blinders a little bit and just kind of going like, I'm going to build this thing kind of through the lens of, yes, this feature, but I'm also going to just just give a little extra thought about how this might be used elsewhere or in the future or sort of something like that. So like from an actual like production effort, there's there's no real change that needs to happen. Like designers, developers, everyone can just like start building, creating things in this way. It, and it doesn't really cost you anything by way of, of you know, effort or, you know, you're not going to be like late. It's not like, oh, creating this design system. Oh, that would be a dream if we had it, but there's just not enough time in the day. The, 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 the trick is to just make you doing your normal work also be building a design system, right? And, and so that's easy to do at an individual level, sort of broadening the net a little bit to a team. Like the cool thing is, is that you can convince the people that you work with directly to kind of commit to this. So this is like a very like grassroots way of doing it. There's like a top down way of doing it, which is we've allocated this much budget for a 2023 budget. And, you know, Q1, we have this much money. And like, that's great. And if you can get that kind of muscle behind it, that's, that's, that's great. That means that there's top down commitment to it, but there absolutely is the ground up way, which is you and your team said, Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to try to like be thoughtful about, how we're like reusing things across, you know, all the screens that we're, that we're building together. And we're going to try to like, you know, do it in a way that we can reuse this stuff. And that's just like a very pragmatic and sensible thing to do. And then sort of from there, once you sort of have a couple successes under your belt, or it's like, oh yeah, we like launch this stuff on time and on budget, you're able to be like, oh, and by the way, like we've been you know, kind of like working on this thing, kind of like pulling back the curtain a little bit and just being like, ta-da. And, but it, for, just to be clear though, in order for a thing to be successful, a design system to be successful in the long run, it's got to eventually get that sort of top down. It needs to become like an officially sanctioned thing. It's great in the early days, you can just grassroots it and, and just do it amongst your team, get something off the ground, grow it, build it, but really in order for it to, to turn a corner and actually be successful in, in sort of like the long run, it needs to not be a side project or, or sort of a, a hackathon thing. Right, right. So I guess, yeah, I'll ask, I'll ask one more question just to kind of keep pushing here a little bit. I, I feel that engineers and, and probably designers too, they, they, the tendency is always like, to over future proof and engineer things a lot of the time, like in, in their craft, right? It's like engineers are like the right methods, like, oh, and they can do this and this and this. And it's like, yeah, but it's never going to do that for any of the reasons we need. So I feel like that happens on the, on the coding front already. And so I think that that inclination is there towards the front end as well. That's why you like, you step into these organizations and there's like the six failed attempts. So I feel like there is that general, like everyone knows that we should be working on making this future proofable and scalable. Like why does it fail so often? Yeah, it's, it, it, it is, it, and you sort of alluded to it where it's like sometimes there is a, a, you know, paralysis that's around, oh my God, we have to, we have to contemplate every future use of a button that will ever happen at this company. And they totally paralyze themselves and never get anything done because you can always play a bunch of hypotheticals out in your head and there you, we could do that 
until we die. <laughs> it's like, it's, and so, so that's like kind of one end of it. And then I think like sort of the, the, the flip side of that is sort of sometimes these things get built that are overly tuned for a specific experience that actually loses that scale. So there's this kind of like sweet spot in an art to, to sort of making something that, that is useful now and gets something out the door and is connected into to advancing a real product. And this, this is kind of coming back to atomic design, why, why that's so helpful. What we do are what we call pilot projects, which are, you know, we need to build the design system. We need to build products using this design systems. What's a good page or what's a good flow or what's a good sort of slice of an application that we can kind of like build while also sort of setting aside these reusable pieces. It's like, oh, the login flow is like pretty lightweight. Like it'll get us some forward fields. It'll get us some button groups. It'll get us like this stuff. That's like a good way to, to sort of go about building a design system. But the trick is, again, there's this art of what I kind of call like think globally, act locally. It's like you're building something through the lens of a specific screen. And, but what you're trying to do is think globally. You're trying to think about that. Like, okay, how might this be reused? Like how, how, how could I sort of, you know, just even naming things, right? Just don't call it like login form, call it form, right? You don't call it like first name field. Or you call it just like, you know, a text field or just, just simple stuff like that goes that, that extra distance to like make that stuff a little bit more like reusable. So it's like, there's, there's kind of this, this sweet spot of it's like you don't want it to be totally rigid or so locked into one use case for this like one specific uh, app or use case. But you also don't want to go, okay, we need to create the perfect button that will serve everyone equally well. That's just not going to happen. So somewhere in between. Nice, nice. So yeah, I feel like, yeah, we've talked a lot about how this is like a, a people problem more than a tooling problem, but like, is there anything on in the tooling space that kind of has emerged recently, or you've been excited about that you found has been kind of working well and leading leading to success? Yeah, that is, it's great, and and I think that the the tooling landscape in the the design system world is has been really great. For one, like tools like Figma, I think have come a long way. They actually have like a what they call variants uh, in it. And so you could create a component and it used to be in the olden days, you would have like a primary button component and a secondary button component and stuff like that. What we now have in these design tools is like how we actually build things in code, which is you have a component that surfaces an API and you're able to say variant equals primary or secondary or tertiary or whatever. And you now have this in the design tool landscape. That's been like a huge win to kind of getting that sort of like one-to-one, that parity between what's in code and what's in design and how we talk about that stuff. So that's cool. Um, I'll say that tools like Storybook have been incredibly valuable uh, for for lots and lots of reasons. Uh, Again, just kind of creating this like place where you're able to sort of visualize and reference and and document and test your components kind of in isolation. Um, That's that kind of, I I call it a front-end workshop environment and having, and and I've built them myself uh, in a tool called Pattern Lab that was like back in 2013. It was like, this is this place that's away from any given application 
that we're able to sort of really focus on just creating the best UI code. Because in the past, it used to be like, oh, you want to like make this button orange? Well, first, you got to spin up the Drupal environment. You got to pull the database, get your local environment sorted. And you're like, I'm trying to make orange buttons here. I don't need any of that stuff. So, so I think that tools like Storybook have been super, super um, critical and sort of, you know, giving design system and UI sort of specialists like a place to, to sort of focus on. Um, but yeah, so, so I think that those are, those are that, and that's like pretty like common fare. There's, there's new stuff that's out there. I think that there's like a lot of really like interesting tools about like, um, you know, trying to sort of create more like sort of visual design tools, but are using code under the hood and stuff. There's a lot of, I think, like really interesting things there. There's tools like Style Dictionary for managing design tokens, which are kind of like the low level design primitives of a, a, of a design system. Um, but that's probably like a really big area for, for improvement, I think, to sort of like really sort of mature how, you know, going, oh, here are all available border radius values or here's our like brand color palette and our neutral color palette and, and utility color palette and things like that. Just kind of like sort of making that stuff a little bit um, sort of more seamless, I, especially across disciplines and stuff. I think that there's some, some opportunity there, but yeah, so good, good stuff that's out there, but certainly some um, uh, room for improvement. Last thing I'll say is like from like an actual like meat and potatoes, like how we are actually sort of making this stuff go, uh, you know, over the last three and a half, four years, we've been building uh, increasingly design systems and web components, uh, which has been really fascinating and fun and, and getting excited about that as that technology matures. And um, we've, we've been enjoying that, you know, we, Built things in React, built things in Angular, built things in Vue, built things in Mustache and Handlebars and, you know, everything else. But, like, to sort of have, like, sort of these, like, web-native components that we're able to sort of, like, create once and, and plug into all of these other frameworks and to plug into all these sort of applications and environments and to have that be part of the web is is tremendously exciting. And so so that's a tool from a actual like technology choice that I think that we've really been leaning into and are getting jazzed about. Nice. Nice. I guess I'll kind of, Oh, my last question. Then I'll, I'll be asking you a prediction. Then I guess, do you think that that kind of um, ubiquity, the pot like of web components will lead to their, them kind of being the norm and how development is done in, in the future? Yeah, I hope so. And I, I'm thinking about this, like um, right now, the narrative, like as, as this is being recorded is, it's seen as very, um, it, it's pitted against uh, other sort of solutions, right? So it was like React versus Web Components or React versus Angular. And it's like... It gets the clicks on the blog titles, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it sure does. It sure does. But it, and, there, and there are, you know, there is some truth to it. But like, truthfully, like in the same way that I've been sort of talking about how the, sort of like a healthy handshake between kind of front of the front end developers and back of the front end developers is, is a useful distinction. And there actually is this like really nice sort of clean kind of, you know, sort of relationship um, there that, that I think is healthy. I see kind of web components and like 
the rest of the modern web ecosystem and beyond as a really sort of complementary uh, affair. And so I'm I'm excited because it, for these kind of like just dumb presentational components where we're just like kind of trying to write some markup, trying to write some styles, trying to write some JavaScript, the accordion opens and closes. Like, do you really want, do you need that to be reactified? Do you need that to be angular convention? It's like, that's, that's kind of silly. We need the accordion to open and close. And sure, you could then take it into React and Angular and do whatever smart things that those environments do really well. And that's that's what I see as like this, the potential for this like super healthy handshake between, okay, we're going to have these like web native components. We're going to have this kind of source of truth for this kind of like just dumb front of the front end code. And then we still have all of our other landscapes to really breathe life into them and make them real. And I, I think that that's really exciting. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I think there's stuff going on. I think this realm, I think some people kind of um, misassume that it's like kind of done and settled, but I think there's a lot, a lot going on still. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I guess to- well, there, there, there is. Yeah. And, and there's like a lot of like, I feel like stankiness for it, you know, I, I don't know if the PR and stuff like around web components and a lot of like the narrative, like kind of matches, matches the, the, uh, the potential or the reality of it. And increasingly I'm finding it, it's like, man, like as people who care about the web, like we should really all probably care more about web component success and, if you know, there's of course rough edges and stuff like that. Oh, let's smooth them out. That's what we always do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll get better. Um, awesome, cool. Is there any, anything else you'd like to uh, promote or point listeners towards? No, <laughs> I, I I have a blog where I where I blog about you know sort of web stuff and design system stuff. It's just at my my website bradfrost.com. I'm on. Twitter is my drug of choice. <laughs> Brad underscore Frost. So um, yeah, I'm 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 there. I uh, I enjoy yeah connecting with the the web community. So I would love to to keep the conversation going with everybody. Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get links to to those in the show notes. But um, yeah, thanks for, so much for coming on and chatting with me, Brad. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great. Of course.